Now there's been a move to a position of open hostility to religious groups in Algeria and a ratcheting up of, of more aggressive approaches in the knowledge that there will be basically no repercussions. Hello and welcome to the USERF Spotlight podcast, a weekly podcast series by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, where we take a deep dive into religious freedom conditions around the world, breaking the situation down for you. Each week, we focus on a different country, region, or topic. Not only do we analyze and explain the religious freedom situation to our listeners, but we also make policy recommendations to the United States government in order to address the immense challenges we bring to light here. Now here is the host of our show, USERF Director of Outreach and Policy, Dwight Bashir, to lead today's discussion. Welcome to USERF Spotlight. I'm Dwight Bashir. Before we get started, I wanted to take a minute to acknowledge that today is our 50th episode on USERF Spotlight since we started just over a year ago. It's been a great pleasure bringing you new content and featuring various experts from around the world week after week. And I hope that our audience has benefited from our podcast as much as I have. And thanks to all of you uh, who have been regular listeners along the way. We hope you'll continue to tune in and offer any feedback uh, you might have to make our podcast even more informative and enjoyable. Uh, Today, we're going to discuss deteriorating religious freedom conditions in Algeria. In recent years, Algerian authorities have shown increasing hostility towards religious minorities, forcibly closing dozens of Protestant churches and prosecuting Ahmadiyya Muslims for gathering without authorization for the purposes of worship. Algerian courts are also increasingly enforcing Algeria's blasphemy and anti-proselytization laws, including against Christians, Muslims, and free thinkers. Many of these violations are highlighted in USERF's recent report on Algeria just released last month, which reiterates USERF's recommendation that the State Department place Algeria on its special watch list for severe violations of international religious freedom. Now, to date, the State Department has not put Algeria on its uh, watch list, but we hope they will change and we anticipate new designations soon, perhaps sometime this month. Now, to explore these dynamics further and to better understand the range of uh, violations occurring in Algeria, today we have with us Miles Windsor, who covers North Africa and the Middle East for the Religious Freedom Institute. Welcome, Miles. Thank you, and it's great to be with you on your 50th episode. Yes, thanks again. Now, to start off with, uh, it'd be great if you could explain to our audience briefly the political and social context surrounding uh, the deterioration of religious freedom conditions in Algeria? And why do you think uh, the situation has actually been worsening in recent years? Okay, sure. So um, we currently have a president in Algeria since December 2019. His name is uh, Abdelmajid Tabun. He um, uh, has replaced a leader, Abdelaziz Bouteflika, who resigned in 2019. And uh, he was in power for 20 years up until that point, uh, uh, President Bouteflika. Um, and uh, he was in extremely poor health uh, and could not have been exercising authority uh, in any meaningful way. But he he announced his uh, 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 that he was going to run for a fifth term as president. And that prompted uh, a popular uprising called the Hirak protests. Uh, and this, uh, these protests, the, the Algerians are, are great uh, at protesting on the streets, and, and, and uh, the leaders of that country know that. And that, that was that was a very effective protest 
at that time in uh, leading to, to, to Bouteflika's uh, resignation. Um, but uh, Tabun represents a continuation of the old order and um, the sort of corrupt or authoritarian politics that uh, they've been in, in Algeria over the past many years. And so this, uh, this protest, these protests, the Hirat movement has continued. Um, but the new regime, having paid lip service to reform, uh, having introduced a new uh, constitution, uh, has has dug in now. Um, and so um, we're seeing uh, uh, pushback against um, uh, any more uh, sense that the reform is get more reform is going to be coming. Now, this this Algerian government, uh, it's in theory, it's a, a sort of an Arab nationalist um, in its in its color, in its political color. Um, it's. Uh, uh, however, it operates in a way which maintains Islam as a, the national religion and actively uh, seeks to undermine, harass and persecute uh, other uh, re- uh, minority religious groups in the country. Um, now, this is this is about control uh, for the most part, uh, and they want to maintain control uh, of, of power um, by virtue signaling to, to the more Islamist elements in society. And they want to maintain control by diminishing minority groups that they consider a threat simply because they aren't uh, in a position to control their message or, or, or demand their loyalty. Uh, and it doesn't help that, that in particular, the growth of Christianity in Algeria has largely come in the Berber areas of the country, where there's also a sense of um, strong sense of religion, uh, a regional identity, and where other political separatist movements have emerged. In terms of the reasons why I consider persecution has increased in recent years, we need to consider the pattern of persecution over probably the past 15 years or so, uh, and, and to look at responses, international responses in particular too. Um, essentially, in my opinion, it's, it's because of a to- twofold revelation uh, to the Algerian authorities in, in the last year or so. They've noticed that campaigning and awareness raising has increased somewhat when it comes to religious freedom, particularly mobilized by the Protestant church in Algeria, but also the, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And this has been a source, I, I believe, of, of irritation as the, the repression against them has largely been subtle, designed to be uninspiring from perspective of international activists, uh, religious communities and politicians. Um, very few can get as exercised by building planets as, as genocide, for example, but the abuse can be extremely detrimental to a religious community uh, all the same. Um, at the same time, so the second element of this is that they, they've seen that during this increase in attention, they've noticed that the international political community does nothing about it whatsoever. So whereas in previous years, international expressions of concern have led to some limited rollback of repressive activities. Now there's been a move to a position of open hostility to religious groups in Algeria and a ratcheting up of, of more aggressive approaches in the knowledge that there will be basically no repercussions. Yeah, interesting. It sounds like uh, they're back into this authoritarian mentality, unfortunately. Can you share uh, with our audience some of the most pressing uh, religious freedom challenges you see it today in Algeria? And, and, and could you go into more detail about which communities in particular, you mentioned Christianity, and uh, but could you, could you mention some of the groups most impacted by these uh, religious restrictions and how they're responding uh, to, to, these, uh, to this adversity? Sure. So, um, there can, as I mentioned, there continue to be these underlying issues around um, permits for places of worship, um, which have been ongoing in waves since 2006, actually. Um, and many churches were shut down on this basis in recent years. And other minorities, such as the Ethnobies, 
uh, have nowhere to push as a result of these challenges as well. Um, and whilst this is a, an issue which might have the average listener yawning and switching off a bit, um, I'd suggest that, that that this is the design of such sort of, dare I say it, bland forms of persecution and, and that we should be more attentive because they're actually very effective and damaging forms of persecution. Um, so, you know, it's, it's the kind of death by a thousand cuts approach to um, uh, damaging uh, a community and the psyche and the, the, the confidence of, of a religious community. Um, and the reality is that, that whilst they would point to these, these permits or this process of applying for permits, they, they, there's no, no permit has ever been issued uh, since the process itself was set up in 2006. So it's, the process is itself a smokescreen for repression. Now, with the Ahmadi community, it's a pretty small religious community, and it's been subjected to at least 10% of, uh, of, of their number being dragged through the court system on account of their religious beliefs. Whilst most of these trials in the past have led to acquittals, the processes themselves have been the weapon of repression and intimidation. Of course, this way they can attack a community without having to account to the international community for prisoners of conscience. You know, if you get acquittals at the end of a long and uh, exhausting process. The Ahmadis have perhaps endured a more aggressive repression uh, since because whilst there is an active international voice speaking out for them, the Ahmadiyya community in the USA and in the UK and other places, it's not nearly as loud and as powerful as the international Christian community. Um, so they have faced uh, in over the past sort of 10 or 15 years um, some, some very difficult challenges. Um, uh, so all this being said um, about acquittals, they have in the past year also started convicting Ahmadis, Christians and others uh, on charges related to their, their religious identity, um, which is, and, and freedom of, of, of expression, they, they do uh, particularly look at people's social media accounts and what people are saying uh, in those places. And it's a troubling development uh, and an escalation um, that I believe is for, for the reasons that I, I, I mentioned in the previous question. We just wanted to take a quick break to highlight our most recent hearing for you. On Wednesday, October 27th, Yusuf hosted a virtual hearing on targeted sanctions and their implications for international religious freedom. You can find the full recording of the hearing as well as written remarks and testimonies on our website at usurf.gov under the events page. Now back to Dwight to continue with the rest of today's discussion. You mentioned going back to 2006, but I think uh, 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 with with a law that was passed, but but clearly they've been uh, ramping up in, I think, uh, in more recent years because there was a lull there uh, even though they had this law on the books uh, and there wasn't a lot of uh, implementation or shutting things down until the past few years. But could you tell us a little bit more about which of these legal frameworks you mentioned that law and what, what are they using uh, to get uh, Christians and Ahmadis in the court system to justify uh, this repression? Yeah, of course. Um, so the, the main law that that people talk about uh, in relation to, to the religious freedom violations in Nigeria is the 0603 ordinance, uh, which is legislation governing non-Muslim worship. And Article 19 of this ordinance um, places the issue of permits in the hand of a commission, which, as I said, I don't think has ever met since since it was formed, uh, nor issued a single permit. Um, and uh, 
Then there's Article 11, which is uh, a vague law uh, against shaking the faith of a Muslim. Uh, now, if I was if I was a Muslim, I'd be minded to be quite insulted that the government feels the need to legislate on on this because it implies that the Algerian people have weak faith that won't stand up to the presence of other beliefs. Um, either way, the legislation has been manipulated and abused in a wide array of circumstances, uh, as you can imagine, with such such vague wording. And another deeply inappropriate piece of legislation used to repress minorities is Article One Four Four of the Algerian Penal Code. Whilst the entirety of the article is an abuse of freedom of expression, it's clause two in particular uh, that creates the opportunity for abuse of religious minorities um, and free thinkers, as, as, as you mentioned earlier. Um, this article states that whoever insults the Prophet Muhammad um, or the rest of the prophets or ridicule the basis, the basics of the religion or any of the Islamic rituals, either in writing, drawing, expression or any other method, the general prosecution shall initiate the litigation pro procedures spontaneously. Um, so you can imagine that this has been used, and this has been uh, a clause used um, uh, significantly for these some of these prosecutions in the last uh, year or so. Now, I mean, with this in mind, it sounds like this, these tactics, uh, as they're you know using to get uh, to, to shut down churches to prosecute uh, Ahmadis on blasphemy and others. Um, what you mentioned earlier that um, you know they they test the the international community and if there's and 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 saying that there's no, if there's no response they just keep going. In your estimation, what what can the U.S. government and international community do to to ameliorate the situation for religious minorities and dissidents in Algeria? Um, I mean, it, it sounds as if um, you know not a lot has been done. I mean, and I think of a country like France. Uh, which has a you know history in Algeria, but but if you could unpack that a bit, uh, looking at key uh, actors like the U.S. government and others in Europe that that might be able to uh, bear some pressure on the situation. Thanks. Yeah, I think um, whilst religious freedom uh, as a, a as an area of foreign policy has become a priority of uh, the political. Uh, uh, in the political realm of government, um, at the ministerial level, if you like, um, both in the US and the UK and other places, um, that's still filtering down, I think, uh, through through the civil service and, and to the diplomats. And there's there's still, I think, a lot to be done in terms of um, educating and showing why religious freedom in these countries is, is important, significant, uh, uh, why, why it matters um, beyond uh, the very important ethical um, reasons um, uh, for the stability, the security of the country and the wider region, um, and how it impacts on on us as well. Um, so that that work actually needs to start there, with sh showing and explaining um, why this matters and why our diplomats should be taking this seriously. Because uh, right now, I think uh, oftentimes I, I hear too much pushback from our diplomats who, who don't necessarily want to engage on what can be sort of an awkward topic uh, with the leaders of the, the, the leaders of Algeria, for example. Um, so that that work needs to be done. Um, more needs to be done in terms of understanding as well, um, where there are issues that, that aren't uh, in the egregious category of persecution, um, as uh, you know, 
as I mentioned, the, the, there are uh, areas that are uh, definitely uh, more obvious uh, in the Middle East, North Africa, uh, in terms of the, the seriousness of persecution. And yet this is, this is very serious types of persecution that you're seeing in uh, Algeria against religious minorities and that have really profound impacts on these communities. And so we need to sort of wise up that these aren't just internal legal uh, issues to do with um, uh, the application or the, the willingness of a, a community to apply for permits or to become an association, which has become a, a problem as well with some of these communities. Um, but actually, the, these, these are things which have a profound impact. So understanding these things um, is important. Uh, actually, uh, uh, acting in partnership, I think it's I think it's important to say not just to um, use the stick method, but also the carrot method in terms of working with uh, governments like the Algerian uh, government in trying to uh, promote a new way of approaching these issues and challenges. Um, we've seen this done well uh, with other uh, uh, diplomatic bases in, in, in other countries in the Middle East and North Africa. Um, it, it is possible to work with uh, governments uh, like the Algerian government to try and um, promote uh, religious freedom and to try and uh, help them to to move uh, and shift some of these uh, policy areas and attitudes which um, are detrimental to religious freedom in the country. Um, so working with those countries, but 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 also um, making sure that that we're when we we see violations of human rights uh, that that we are um, able to uh, you know uh, bear our teeth on these things if you like or that, that there is that there are consequences of some kind when you see um, human rights abuses flagrantly uh, committed uh, in places like Algeria. And it's important, I think, in this process that, that they do receive this status as, as, as um, being on the special watch list. I think that that's right, that that, that is applied if there's been concern that, that, that what they've been doing to this point hasn't been serious enough to, to warrant that. Then we can look at um, the, the prosecutions in the last year and apply that and and uh, acknowledge uh, that uh, Algeria needs to be on that special watch list. Um, so, so there are a range of things I think that, that need to be done in order to tackle the, the issues in, in, in a more serious way with Algeria. Well, thank you very much. And I will have to leave it right there, but I, I, I agree with you. And we've made that recommendation that the US government should indeed uh, place Algeria on a special watch list based on a lot of what you talked about today, uh, but you can also find the case to be made for why Algeria fits that criteria in that new report I mentioned, Algeria Country Update, which you can find on our website and also our full set of recommendations for U.S. policy. I want to thank uh, Miles Windsor from the Religious Freedom Institute for joining us today. Thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you next time on USERF Spotlight. To learn more about USERF and about global religious freedom concerns, visit usurf.gov. That's U-S-C-I-R-F dot gov. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at USCIRF. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week for another USERF Spotlight.